So welcome back to podcast at SDA. I'm David Bridell, and uh, this season we are talking with our esteemed faculty at the School of Dramatic Arts uh, and finding out more about their life and work. Uh, first of all, a big thank you to Phil Allen and the team at the podcast studio. Um, I make it sound as though there is a studio devoted to podcasts, which there isn't. We're just in the sound studio here at Dramatic Arts. Um, but the big welcome today is to Kate Burton. Hello, Kate. Hi, David. It's so nice to have you here. It's such a treat to have you on our faculty. Uh, listeners, Kate Burton has a resume that is far too long to repeat right now, <laughs> but includes uh, multiple appearances on Broadway and on many of the television shows that I'm sure you watch on a regular basis and has a storied and lengthy career in the American film and television and stage industry. So here you are, Kate. Here I am. <laughs> um, uh, so we're just going to chat, and uh, we'll see where the conversation takes us, Terrific. if that's okay with you. I wanted to start with an odd detail that I discovered. None of these questions have been prepared. Kate is unwarned about anything I'm going to ask her, um, which is that uh, you were in Spring Awakening on Broadway. Is that true for a while? And, there were, and Christine Estabrook was in the role that you played. Mm -hmm. She's on our faculty as well. Yes, Christine and I have both just arrived. Yes, uh, I um, <clears throat> I participated in the very early workshops of Spring Awakening, okay. and um, and was there right at the beginning before they just when they were putting it together. They had done like maybe one or two readings for small groups, okay. um, but this was the <clears throat> reading that we were doing for the American Songbook series at uh -huh. Lincoln Center. So myself and Frank Wood and Michael Cerverus uh -huh. were asked to play the adults, the adult characters, and Michael Cerverus actually sang, read and sang the role of the masked man uh -huh. who never made it into the final okay. iteration of the musical version, of course, in the original play version by Vedekind, right. The Masked Man is throughout. Right. Um, and I remember thinking, what have I done? I hate doing workshops. <laughs> Why did I say yes to this? Though it was a great group of people. And the minute I heard the first song, I thought, oh, my God. Uh, oh, my something's goodness. Happening. Something's happening. So uh, that was very, very thrilling. And I was actually with two out of three of the original leads. Mm -hmm. um, and then also many of the kids who ended up being in the show, and then, and then when they did uh, when they did the original production to, at the Atlantic Theater Company in New York, my friend Mary McCann was playing all the adult women, and one day as I was packing to move to California uh, eleven years ago, I got a frantic call from the Atlantic Theater Company saying that they had no understudies, uh -oh. and that poor Mary McCann had to go and have a medical procedure, and would I? do the play on book, oh, with, which I did. Terrifying. Right. Very fast-moving play. I almost yes. had digits removed from my feet a couple <laughs> of times if Leah Michelle had pulled me back. <laughs> anyway, and so then I said, okay, guys, enough is enough. I said, I'm moving to California, but, and I know you're planning to do this on Broadway, if ever your Broadway lady, who I had no idea would be Christine Esterbrook, your new faculty member, uh, is going to take a holiday, please call me because I really would love to learn this role and really do it properly. And that's very long-windedly 
how I ended up taking over from Christine only, f- well, actually it ended up 10 weeks. Okay. She wanted to come back home to California. Okay. And I did it for 10 weeks on Broadway with most of the original cast, um, many of whom are on billboards all along Sunset Boulevard starring <laughs> in their own TV shows. Yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, so it, that was incredible. And, um, you know, Christine, I'd always admired so much, but I had also had the great fortune of playing Wendler Bergman when I was at Yale Drama School. Oh, so so you, I knew the play very, the very story. well. Yeah. So it was just a kismetish thing, and I mm. loved that. I loved the play. I loved the musical. I loved the music. I loved all the people, the director. It was an incredible experience. Is it a singing role? It, she sings sort of in a choral. Okay. Uh, there's one point where... Um, I can't say this on this. Uh, there's a <laughs> song called Totally Effed. Okay, yes. And she sings in uh, that okay. with the other adult. But it's mostly just hilarious dancing. Okay. Singing along. And then she sings at the end. And I do sing, actually. I have... I do one musical every 10 or 15 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's so I do, but I'm Welsh, you know, so. Ah, that's we, true. We sing. It we are a musical nation. It runs deep. <laughs> Mary McCann uh, is a previous employer of mine because I used to work at the Atlantic. No kidding. I did. With I Neil taught, Pepe, her I, wonderful husband. That's right. And taught Shakespeare there for a long time. Oh, did you? Oh, I love those guys. Yeah, very good people. I was with them when they first started. Right. And uh, I did a production of Measure for Measure, and many of the people, supernumeraries in the show, were members of the Atlantic Theater Company. And they were creating Atlantic Theater Company. And they were, in between scenes, they had spreadsheets and computers oh, and calculators. That's and they were figuring out, you know, what was their budget and wow. how were they going to throw together this little theater company. Uh, not so little. <laughs> not so little anymore. <laughs> um, okay, good. Well, I just wanted to dig around in that detail because mm-hmm. I found it to be intriguing. Um, let's go back a little bit, Kate. And, uh, uh, you know, we recently had an event for the School of Dramatic Arts where you graciously talked a little bit about your, um, you know, the beginnings of your career and even earlier than that, your, your upbringing. But I did notice that you actually appeared with your father in a couple of movies, right? <clears throat> Including your first ever film, which is uncredited, in Unc- which you are uncredited. Uncredited. <laughs> the age of 11. Um, uh, but you also in at least one other one other film? Yeah, we did um, Dad. My dad, of course, was yes. Richard Burton. And we did um, when he played Henry VIII. Mm. Uh, as one does, uh, I play uh, in uh, Anne of the Thousand Days in yeah. the 60s. I was, I appeared as a Bolin maid. Aww. And uh, my most uh, memorable moment in the movie, which most people don't notice because fortunately they're looking at my father, right. is I'm looking straight at the camera. <laughs> like any 11-year-old should. Exactly. And it's just like in Dr. Strangelove, there's one incredible moment which you don't ever watch because you're watching Peter Sellers where right. the Russian ambassador bursts out laughing. Oh, okay. And you, next time you see it, you have to see that. So that was my first time on film. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a small child, I had no desire to be an actor mm-hmm. or actress. And my mother was perfectly happy with that. And there was apparently some moments where I might have been... I, there was some interest in me for this movie with Cary Grant called Father Goose. Oh, my. I would have been one of the children. Oh. But my mother put a stop okay. to it. And I'm glad she did. Right. Because, frankly, I mean, this was not something that appealed to me at that time. Uh, but then later on, as I was finishing university, I then decided to give it a go and went to mm. drama school at Yale. And then, so, my first times, really, I guess, maybe I had done something else, but... Um, my fr- one of my first times in front of the camera 
was I had done, I had been in Alice in Wonderland on Broadway, directed by Eva Legallier. Oh my goodness! Which was amazing, oh. and she played the White Queen, and I was Alice, and she directed me, and Whoa. it was a okay. There must be some stories. It was a pretty one. remarkable thing. She called me Miss Burton oh, the whole time. Goodness, Miss Burton. Um, I remember one, one of our. And this will lead back to your question, but uh, she said uh, she had been in the film of my cousin Rachel with my dad. Okay. And they had not gotten on. Oh, really? She, I don't think she, it was his first major Hollywood movie. Uh-huh. And he said, and I knew her, her name was Eva Legallian, and everybody who knew her called her Le G, right. or I called her Miss Legallian. Right. And Dad, when I was put in Alice in Wonderland, he said, oh, please say hello to Eva. And I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> nobody calls her that. Right. So anyway, but she said to me in my audition, she said, I didn't like your father much. Oh. And I was like, oh, great, okay. This is going well. Yeah. And um, anyway, but we did the play. And then we did a television version of it for PBS. And there were a lot of problems. And she was not interested in hmm. acceding to any of their demands hmm. at PBS. This was great performances. Mm-hmm. So she bowed out. And so um, it was uh, so we, we I did it with um, the most extraordinary cast of characters Um I had Colleen Dewhurst and Maureen Stapleton as the Red and White Queen. Oh, goodness. And then Nathan Lane, young Nathan Lane, who I had debuted in in Present Laughter by Noel Coward. Right. Um, he played uh, the mouse. No. <laughs> I mean, it was it was beyond. <laughs> Eve Arden and Jimmy Coco played the King and Queen of Hearts. I mean, it was, and Eve and. Um, Kate Ballard played the Duchess. Oh. I mean, it was it was this you know from that time it was a who's who of right. theater legends. Right. And then my dad played the White Knight, oh. and so I have the sweetest scene with him where oh, you, you know where he's falling off the horse and I'm helping him back on the horse and and so that's the sweetest thing on earth. And then so we did that and that was taped, so right. it was very kind of theatery right. looking theatrically. You know, didn't look like a movie or no. anything. And then. Crazily, lo and behold, um, uh, I was cast shortly after that in a television miniseries called Ellis Island, Mm. which was shot in London Mm -hmm. in 1984, and um, and Dada had just done 1984, the film. Oh, sure, which I remember very well. Quite amazing. Yeah, that's extraordinary. And. uh, so, you know, he, I was cast as this terrible kind of uh, drug, uh, alcoholic mm. daughter, and he was my father. Mm. He was cast as my father after I was cast. Mm. So, you know, and my a wonderful, beautiful friend, Jean Guest, who was the casting director, also a very dear family friend who just passed away at the beautiful age of 96. Mm. She put me. She knew she, they wanted to do this, but she was determined to put me in it first. Oh, that's very, so that I would not feel very sweet. Yeah. So that was extraordinary. So it's it was fasc- an incredible thing. It's fascinating hearing you because growing up, obviously, um, Richard Burton felt to me like British theatrical royalty, even mm-hmm. though much of his career was over here, of course. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, that was the sort of. Um, I don't know, the instinct that I had when I followed him. And here, listening to you talk about Eva Le Gallienne and all of these extraordinary Broadway stars, that's American theatrical royalty. Right. So you really have, you know, had this, the star shone over you as you I were have. able to sort of <laughs> traverse both worlds, right? Well, I was. And, I, and, you know, and the great thing is, is, you know, because I didn't decide to be an actress until I was 
the very elder age of 22. Well, that's actually, yeah. But I didn't want to, in high school, I was like, you got to be kidding. I mean, yeah. I was very clear that this was a mad life yeah. because I had not only my father and my wonderful mad stepmother, yeah. Elizabeth Taylor, huge, amazing movie stars. I grew up with my amazing mother, Sybil, mm-hmm. um, and my wonderful stepfather, Jordan. And Jordan was a working actor. Mm-hmm. He did very well. I mean, he played on Broadway. He did TV shows. He did films. But he was very much a working actor. So I really experienced, I grew up with, you know, kind of a job-to-job kind mm-hmm. of oh, actor sure. who had been a musician. So he had lots of other great interests, the most wonderful, delightful human and then my, you know, movie mm. star, <laughs> yeah. you know, other side of the family. So I grew up in, ste- growing up in New York City, steeped in New York theater. My mother, you know, we, I, you know, I saw the original productions of, you know, Hair and mm. Company and, um, you know, Sweeney Todd mm-hmm. and all the great Sondheims. And, um, you know, from very early age, going to the theater was just like what we did. Yeah. But, Brit- you know, also because I do have a foot in both Britain mm-hmm. and America that, you know, British children, I think, especially ones growing up around London, go to the theater all the time. I mean, it's part of how they grow up. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to my cousins, none of whom are in theater, they're seeing the, all of the shows at the National, mm-hmm. they're seeing all the shows in the West End and the Fringe, you know, um, you know, in, you know, wherever they are all over, all over Britain. And so that kind of just, that's just from day one. It feels mm-hmm. like I've always gone to the theater. Mm-hmm. And even this weekend, I had two nights off. What did I do? I went <laughs> to the theater. Did. And, you know, um, it's just, a, an, you know, I, I, when I decided to pursue it, it felt very natural for me. But I also knew that I was very clear that my trajectory would be one where if I could make my living as an actress, and actually mm-hmm. Christine Esterbrook and I had this talk the other day, mm-hmm. we would feel that was an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's what happened. Yeah. And I have, you yeah. know. But I also know that my relationship to education, my own education, because my parents both didn't finish their educations, yeah. um, you know, um, formally, yeah. that I knew that that was always going to be a tremendously important part of my life. So I did go to college for four years, unlike either of my parents. Yeah. I, then I went and got a graduate degree yeah. in acting, <laughs> and which does count, as we know, here at the School of Dramatic Arts. And, um, and you know, I sort of, I feel it's a little bit full circle for yeah. me now because, yeah. because I'm now moving into a time where I'm sort of giving back. But growing, you know, I feel some, some of, it's really interesting talking to some of the students here at, the SD, at SDA is that some of them really appreciate my background. Mm-hmm. I've talked to both of my classes about where I came from mm-hmm. and how. And some of them, you know, it's not that they don't care. They're just, it's just not part of what yeah. they're, how they think. It's not relevant. It's not relevant to them. Yeah. So it's been very, very interesting yeah. um, to have that, those experiences. Um, but I, I ver- I'm very grateful, particularly to my mother's abiding and deep love of the theater because she never she was the person on all in my life including my husband who runs the center theater group and various other uh friends and loved ones who loved the theater so profoundly it just there was nothing that thrilled her more than to sit in a dark theater and watch an amazing play play musical whatever and i just knew that that was a pure it was like the purity of her love of it that was sort of 
instilled in me. I think that's something that many of us share here. Now, you know, inevitably, mm -hmm. we've wound up in an institution which is devoted to teaching and making theater and other mm -hmm. things too. But you know, at its core, it's a, it has a sort of foundation in the theater. And it's certainly, I know that I'm, I feel that way. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a kind of a pure love <laughs> that will never go. Yeah, thank God. Thank <laughs> oh, God. Speaking of which, yes, I wanted dear. to share with you something that I've never told you. What? If I was washed up on a desert island and I was only allowed one play for the rest of my life to read and cogitate upon, it would be Hedda Gabler. No kidding. Yeah. And of course, that's one that you've, uh, you have that in your back pocket. I do. I, um, where did you do it? Was it Williamstown? I did it everywhere. Okay. I did it. Uh, we started it in, uh, it was totally total nepotism mm -hmm. my mother and my husband turned to me on Christmas morning and said so we've had a chat and we think you should play Hedda Gabler <laughs> so and no I was choice. not so thrilled frankly oh, really? because I had played I had done scenes from it in drama school and mm. thought oh this isn't for me mm. um but uh but but I said I'll give it a try and so um it was great. It was right after a UK Ireland tour of The Beauty Queen of Lean End by mm. Martin McDonough. Mm, sure. Incredible. That's an amazing piece. Well, you know, and here was the thing. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things about all the work we do, we're so blessed to work on amazing plays. Mm. But not all of the plays are amazing. No, sure. And so, you know, I can honestly say that over the course of my career up until Hedda Gabler, probably about a quarter of the shows, mm -hmm. the th plays mm -hmm. or musicals that I had done were I could classify as perfect. Right. And two of those came back to back, which was The Beauty Queen of Lena mm -hmm. by Martin McDonough, which I do think is remark. I mean, it's a remarkable and quite a perfect play. Mm. And I had done it on Broadway, and then I did it all over Ireland and the mm -hmm. UK. And that was my first time probably really sinking my teeth into a leading lady role, mm -hmm. which I felt comfortable with. Because I played leading ladies before, but it was a funny thing. I was much happier playing supporting roles. Okay. You know, I was a younger actress, and you know, that's just what I felt comfortable with. And that, that was the first time that I just took the bull by the horns and just went with it. I also had a great, great director, mm. Gary Hines, oh, and sure. that was fantastic. So, and then literally 10 days later, Hedda Gabler began. Wow. And I was working with a director that I had worked with a few times before, who was a dear, dear friend, Nicholas Martin. Oh, sure. And um, the cast was perfect. Mm -hmm. The cast was utterly, completely perfect. And as I got to know the play, which was an adaptation by John Robin Bates, mm -hmm. great, great playwright, mm -hmm. I thought, oh my goodness. It was it was the second day of rehearsal, and I literally thought, oh my God, I know what to do. Like, mm -hmm. I know how to handle this. And I had a perfect director for it, because right. he was at a Kepler. <laughs> With Nicholas? Yeah. In fact, Robbie Bates said to him, you know, here's the thing about you. You're really the head Because I would say, I don't understand. So like the burning the manuscript, like, why mm. am I? And he'd go, here's why, honey. Here's why, darling. Doll. Yeah. So, you know, it was just from day one. And we did it the right way. We did it the way the British do it, frankly. Mm. Mm. You know, and the, my great inspiration was Janet McTeer in A Doll's House. Oh, yeah. Extraordinary the performance. Extraordinary performance. And pl by the way, she and I are Nora and Hedda playing the opposite roles oh, yeah. in some ways. So yeah. she's a classic Hedda. I'm a classic Nora. And yeah. we played. You switched it. We switched. And so, you know, I watched her performance on Broadway and I, I knew and I spoke to a producer on the show who is a wonderful um, American uh, New York producer, Elizabeth McCann. And she said to me, here's why. Here's why this is so great. She mm. said she's done it in like eight different theaters before she did it on Broadway. Mm. And just watching it, watching her, watching that perfect production, those 
perfectly cast actors. And I thought, beautifully directed, and I thought, okay, Ibsen on Broadway, like, who knew? Yeah. So that's it, like a little seed, and I have never been, I mean, I'm promoting for the work I do, but I'm not self-promoting. Mm -hmm. And at the minute we started per doing performing it, because I knew about A Doll's House and how wonderfully great that was, I said, you know, this is a Broadway show. Mm. And because I'd done Beauty Queen on Broadway mm. and I knew about like a perfect, and I had those producers who I'd become very close to. So that began. So we started a very tiny theater, my mom's theater, which was uh, the Bay Street Theater in Sac Harbor, a tiny little thrust stage, miniature theater, mm. 199 seats maybe. We did it there. And then we moved it, we took a week off, and then we moved it to Williamstown, which was a proscenium mm -hmm. space, which was about 500 to 600 seats. And that's when I invited the Broadway mm -hmm. Possibility producers. I just said, call me crazy. Mm -hmm. So up they came, and one of them went, yes, mm -hmm. this is something. And I said, I think it is something. And so, but we, again, it was burbling, burbling. And then we always knew that then we were going to take it to Nicky Martin's theater, um, which right? was the Huntington in Boston, which is a glorious proscenium house that is a, like a Broadway house. Mm -hmm. It's the perfect pre-Broadway house because it's a Broadway house. And it was we were up there. We had to change one cast member, which crushed me, but we ended up getting a phenomenal, wonderful woman. And we were we we were performing the play up there, and um, with all my my three guys, mm -hmm. my three boys. Yeah, sure. Um, and it was, it was it was going very well. There was a lot of talk about moving it, but it was hard because, you know, we'd gotten wonderful response, both the audience and critically, in all three places. But, you know, it's always I'm not a big star. Right. So, you know, it, it was just we just didn't know. And then I remember one night. I was standing, we had done a show, we had done a performance, it was a very good performance. And my, the way I always judge any play I'm in, whether it's tragedy or comedy, because my, my dramatic roles, whenever I play them, I always go for the laughs. Mm -hmm. And I was getting my laughs in the right places mm -hmm. that night, because Head is funny. Oh, she's hilarious. She's hilarious. And so, and, and I got my response, and it was a group of people, some of whom I knew um, because a group was there from the Brown Club of Boston, which mm -hmm. is what my alma mater, my undergraduate alma mater. And at the end of the show, Nikki, my wonderful director, came to the show and he said, I have something to tell you. And I remember we were standing outside and he had on a hoodie and it was snowing. It was like December, January. He said, um, so the New York Times is going to come and see the show. And I went, oh, my God, <laughs> really? Because I knew that if they gave us a bad review, that was it, it's over. All over, yeah. all over. Yeah. And he said, and I have something else to tell you. And I said, what? He said, they just saw the show. <laughs> thank God I didn't know. Thank well, God I didn't know. I mean, thank yeah. God. So anyway, then we lived in this hyperventilating space for about three, four days because, you know, Certainly in those days, and still, the New York Times reviews everything, yeah. especially if you're in out of town, especially if you're on Broadway, wherever you are. But if you're definitely thinking, hoping. Yeah, sure. So we went, and that weekend, we all went home to New York. Um, and um, my husband, Michael, uh, 
who was was one of the was one of the original producers of that because he'd done it at Williamstown. So I'm I'll never forget it. Somebody had given me this book about Norway. <laughs> Like photographs, amazing photographs of Norway. And I was sitting in the living room. He said, honey, I think the review is coming out. And I mean, I literally heard him around the corner because he was online. Tick, 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 tick. Like you're tick, 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 tick. <laughs> And then I'm reading this. I'm looking at these photos. And I don't read reviews. But uh, and my husband is not hyperbolic at all. Right. So I like looking at these pictures of Norway, like looking, <laughs> looking, you know, this and then he lit. I've never seen him do this. He literally came flying around the corner, and he told me the you know, the sentence, right. which was something like, and I can't even remember it exactly, but something like, "Has reinvented the role. Oh no, and her career. Oh my god. So it was like one of those. Yeah. It was one of the great love letter reviews you'll ever get in your life. Which I did finally read it like two years later, mm-hmm. and then it kind of was it Frank Rich. It was. It was no. It was Ben Brantley. Brantley, who was who uh, Ben Brantley and Frank <laughs> Frank Rich, who's my boss on Veep now, <laughs> which is the weirdest thing. I go, oh, hi Frank. That's so Anyway, so so yeah, so that on that moment, every literally everything changed. And right. you know, you hate to give the critics that credit because one has to assume that it was the work yes. you know it was my, it was a, anyway it changed everything it changed mm-hmm. everything we suddenly had we suddenly had a broadway show and sort of incredibly it was 2001 yeah. and uh so we knew that we were going to do it on broadway the following year mm-hmm. and so the in the september mm-hmm. and so we started rehearsal about a, a beginning of september and then we were about to go into tech on September 12th. Oh, my. And so I was on my way to a costume fitting on September the 11th. And thank God I was late mm-hmm. because I had my three-year-old with me. Mm-hmm. And we were about to get onto the subway. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because <clears throat> not only was this a really remarkable production, mm. but... Uh, and not only were there, I was headlining, you know, with my name, mm-hmm. literally the size of, my, you know, Minneapolis <laughs> in, on the marquee. I couldn't even believe it. I never even assumed. I never dreamed. I mean, it didn't even, it wasn't even something I dreamed about. I thought, oh, my God, there I am. And, um, and you know, it all, you know, September the 11th happened. And all of us who were on Broadway, it was an unbelievable time mm. because I remember there was a, a thing in the United, in the uh, New York Times a, a headline on the arts page and it said the expression of grief and the power of art mm. and so you knew that whenever anybody was deciding to come and see Hedda Gabler by Henrik Ibsen mm-hmm. on Broadway <clears throat> they were scared they were scared something was going to happen it was near Times Square oh my god you know you know and you know you'd be on stage and you hear a siren go by and you think Oh my God, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And but it was the most thrilling experience, hard, so tragic, mm. and yet persevering and felt like being you know in the Blitz, mm-hmm. you know, in London in the Blitz, mm-hmm. you know, performing. Um, and it was an incredible. So not only was the show, ex- I think, pretty extraordinary, it was just we were performing in an extraordinary time, mm. and the audiences were galvanized and they wanted to be there and. Um, and to such a degree, and we did this hilarious uh, commercial for Broadway, hmm. where the entire of the uh, entirety of the Broadway community danced and sang to New York, New York, and had a gabbler. And 
I learned love pork. Were you in costume? Judge, oh, yeah. <laughs> they were the New York, pointing our hands everywhere, doing dancing. And I said, we're all in Hedda Kaplan. We were all next to 42nd Street. Right. And then, you know, Nathan Lane was in the producers. He was down, down front. Right. And there's this amazing mural at Actors' Equity in New York City of all of, of us that. dancing oh, together. Cool. And it was just, it was an incredible time. And so much so that I said, oh, you know, when the play ended, we, we played for 17 weeks, which was our allotted run. Uh, I said, I really do want to stay. I want to stay in New York. I want to stay in the theater. And as luck would have it, mm. the Elephant Man. Oh, sure. Beautiful Bernard Pomerantz, who just passed away uh, with Billy Crudup. By the way, I out. saw you in that. You didn't. You don't know that. You saw a lot I, of me in that. <laughs> I did. It. That's very true. I did. Um, uh, yeah. And yeah, that, I so that I continued on. Yeah. And we did, I did that play for 10 weeks, mm. which was a fantastically very different. It was so great having gone from playing Hedda Gabler to mm, playing oh, for sure. a pinhead. Right. And a woman on the street right. with an umbrella. And then Mrs. Kendall, which yeah. was one of the great roles you'll yeah. ever play. So it was an unbelievable year uh, for me and for my family. My husband won the Tony Award for yes. Best Regional Theater, and I was nominated for both shows. So yeah. it was an unbelievable time. <laughs> and I actually, you know, I remember thinking after that, like, well, that's it. Let's right. get better than this. Yeah, right. You know, and so it was uh, it was an incredible time. But Hedda Gabler, you know, it's one of those roles. Um, you know, I've been so blessed to play all of Chekhov's major roles. And um, I'm so glad I played those roles before I played Hedda Gabler because mm. they kind of led me to her. So uh, let's talk about that for a moment because, you know, here we are surrounded by many uh, young people who are aiming to be actors and they're here in the school learning the craft. What does it uh, take for you to approach uh, you know, a major role like that? Um, and how much are you digging around in your own muck and mire when you try and access all of the, you know, the the details and the characteristics of Hedda Gabler, or how much are you just sourcing your imagination, which is separate from your life? Where do you stand when it comes to building a character? I think that, um, you know, I'm I think th the way I have, oh, I'm very methodical mm. and I'm a Virgo, mm. so I'm very, you know, <laughs> got it all planned out. I'm very methodical the way I work in terms of just really creating a shell. Mm -hmm. That's just the way I have always approached stuff. You know, I, I get as much information as I think is useful to me at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But what I really do find is when really everything starts to sort of click is after I've been with it for a couple of weeks in mm. rehearsal. So sometimes, like for instance, with our, my little group with the Twelfth Night Kids yeah. and BFA Juniors, you know, I didn't in, in, I didn't throw too much on them at the beginning. But as we went along, I, I threw more and more right. because they were ready to get it. Because right. so often what happens is, you know, you get first day of rehearsal, they hand you this monster yeah. dramaturgical reference. Right. A Bible. A Bible. And you, you think, I don't even know, like, what my name is. Mm. You know, never mind. So it's, you know, people's play, you know, where, you know, who am I? Where am I from? Where did I grow up? You know, yeah. and sometimes I do that with some roles. Sometimes I don't have to do it at all. Yeah. With my all my Russian roles, with all my Russian roles, with all my Chekhov ladies. I mean, I know those plays from having played usually one or two characters in each of them. So yeah. I know them from many different yeah. angles. With those, I don't even have to, you know, I just show up. Yeah. Um, 
But with somebody like Hedda Gabler, I mean, you know, it wasn't until I was performing the play where a uh, wonderful and very tricky director, Arthur Lawrence, hmm. uh, the great Arthur Lawrence, who was a friend of my mother's. My mother's theater is in the Hamptons mm-hmm. in New York, and so is, in fact, visited and peopled by many, many theatrical professionals who live out there. Sure. So, you know, even though I thought, oh, we'll be doing our cute little out-of-town right. trial. Who are we kidding? I had had like <laughs> half of Broadway in the audience. So, but he said a wonderful thing to me, and it wasn't until I was in performance, he said, she didn't grow up with a mother. She did uh. not grow up with a maternal influence. Mm-hmm. She is her father's daughter. She was brought up as in a very male way. Mm-hmm. So her whole love of the mm-hmm. guns, the way she handles herself with the three men in her life mm-hmm. um, was not a very feminine, mm-hmm. even though she's extremely feminine. Mm-hmm. And that was just revelatory for me. And that was, I was ready to hear that whilst I was in my first couple of performances. Oh, I see. So things like that I find very helpful when, when really great, smart theater people mm. want to give me some ideas to think about. Mm. I'm all for it. Mm. Um, in rehearsal, um, again, because it was so perfectly cast that I was able to discover so much about my relationship. I had the most incredible actor, Michael Emerson, mm. who you would know, uh, audiences would know from Lost, from Person of Interest, very kind of interesting glasses, very smart, smart actor, played Tesman. Mm. And we did him, my husband, and we decided, and I had worked with him before, and we had decided that the relationship initially, there was something there. She really did think this is someone who's going to elevate me. Yeah. I mean, it's also just that whole thing. He had a whole, Michael's a very, very um, sort of erudite fellow, and we talked a lot about, you know, the you know growing up with the religion that they would grow up with, uh-huh. you know, um, being Norwegian, uh-huh. you know, how they would approach things, what they would think about this kind of Lutheran, uh-huh. you know, uh, construct. Um, also, you know, what will people think, Hedda? Yeah. You know, the whole notion of she's trapped by the society that she lives in, yeah. which I have often found extremely helpful playing Spring Awakening, uh-huh. Vedekind, Ibsen, you know, all those writers of the 1890s, uh-huh. 1880s, 1890s, and they were just coming up against what will people think. Yeah. And so, you know, how do I, how do I stay within my society and, and yet, you know, what makes those women, you know, these amazing female protagonists, uh, Vendla Bergman and Hedda Gabler and, you know, Nora. Mm-hmm. You know, who are, why, you know, what is it that, why do they have to push against, why does Nora have to leave, why does she have to slam the door? Um, you know, what pushes her for her to do that? That's, that's always spoken to me as an actress. What makes them have to do that? Why yeah. did they, why does Hedda have to kill herself? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's an incredibly interesting thing to me that I found endlessly fascinating throughout my life as an actress. I do think that, uh, just to stay on the Ibsen jag for one more second, sure. it's so fascinating to read Doll's House and then Hedda, which were written about 10 years apart, I think, mm-hmm. and to see the, the way in which Ibsen... I, I, I'm, Janet McTeer's production of Doll's House you know, sent me head over heels oh, me too. into the streets, and, and, and I've always loved that play, but Hedda for me is even greater. I agree. And it's partly because it's worse. <laughs> Somehow yeah. it's just worse. Yeah. 
Um, well, it is worse because she's so. I mean, Robbie Bates, who's such a great playwright, you know, wrote other Desert Cities, yeah. and oh my God, so many brilliant, brilliant plays. He's such a great writer. He said to me, I said to him the first day of rehearsal, I said, okay, tell me something. Mm-hmm. And he said, she's the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was, I think the thing that about Nora, which is why it was so interesting to see Janet McTeer play her, is that Nora, to me, I, as an actress, I just couldn't wrap my head around Nora. I didn't want to play Nora. I very didn't, naive. Well, that just whole of the, you know, mm. the Tarantella. I thought, oh, kill me now. I mean, you know, I just thought, <laughs> whereas head is just right off the bat. You know, it's she's so just true. tough. <laughs> she's she's tough. tough and mean and Miss Tesman. I mean, the scenes with Miss Tesman, oh, who I have the brutal. most beautiful actress, Angela, Mike Thornton, play Miss Tesman. And this and she was a beautiful woman. And I had, and it's, you know, when things happen, I mean, you know, you play a part, you're lucky enough to play a part in four different theaters mm. over the course of a year and a half. And, you know, how great is that? Mm. Every time you do that, I've been, you know, I always say to actors, young actors, old actors, anybody I can talk to, <laughs> if you get an opportunity to play a part twice, go for it. Yeah, sure. Because there is that amazing thing that happens the next second time you. And I got to do her. I got to play oh. her three times. I have a rule that I have to direct a play three times before it's any good. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, good because yeah, we'll talk later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes, so. yes. And whenever, well, you know, whenever you work on it the first time, which is, I mean, like being an actor too, you think, oh, as after it's over and you're driving home in your car, yes, and you're there right. with all you your makeup right. in a little bag, and you go, that's what that scene <laughs> that's was. Right. Or you know, I I think of of plays that I've directed here at USC that I've really loved directing. And then I've thought, oh, you know what I could have done in that? And I know. And listen, that's the beauty of what I keep saying to all the the, the kids here and, yeah. and also to myself. It's a whole process. That's right. You know, it's, it's never not, finished. It's never a result. And, and as an actor, you know, the biggest thing is I, I as as I go along as I go along mm-hmm. in my acting career, which has been so fantastic. I've I've been so lucky. Is you know I learn things, new things, old things. You know, and I now I just as you know because you saw it, I did a play that I had done a second time, but playing a different role, which was Present yes, Laughter on yes, Broadway yeah. with Kevin Klein, and I played Daphne Stillington, the ingenue, with George C. Scott thirty five years before, where I right out of drama school, and then here I was playing, uh, you know, Liz, the wife. But it was such an unbelievable experience. Also, to when you work, you know, and, and appreciate great actors mm-hmm. that you get to work with. And that's, you know, I see it e- even in my production of Twelfth Night here sure. at school. I see there are three or four actors in the show who are sublime. Mm-hmm. And whenever anybody's on stage with them, they become more sublime. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really beautiful to watch. Mm. Yeah. And you had that with Mr. Klein for... I certainly... Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein, who's, you know, sort of like a British actor. Yeah. And he was playing a British actor, so it kind of worked out. But he really knows to watch him. And the way he navigated that role, he plays a very hyperbolic, Mm. larger-than-life English stage actor. And he approached it initially... And he's a great physical comedian mm. and a great comedian, mm. Kevin is, in no matter what he does. But he's played many, many tragic roles, as we know. 
um, he he uh, approached it like he was in a pinter play. He started with the truth. He started with the truth. Yeah. He started with the truth, and we played it for the first like ten days. It was really disconcerting. <laughs> not it very was, funny at it all. It was not funny at all, right. and we just because we knew that in order for the comedy yeah. to emerge, yeah. it had to be. It had to be start from truth. And oh, were the first 10 days in front of an audience? No. Oh, no. You mean in rehearsal? Well, no. They they were in rehearsal. We had four full weeks in the room before we moved Mm. to tech. And then we had tech, which was actually fairly endless, to Mm. be honest. And then then we had... um, How many weeks of previews? We had a long preview period. We had... We previewed for... Three full weeks, okay. and then we started. Then, we, then about a half a week. Then, then I guess the critics must have come, <laughs> but I don't know was. when they came. Um, and I still don't know when they came, which is right. great. Um, and Kevin, the first week, he was playing around with how big or how small he uh, could be, uh-huh. and he had a microphone, and the rest of us didn't, uh. which was pretty bad. So then after about two weeks of that happening, I finally turned to our wonderful director and I said, I can't go on. I can't go on. We must all have mics. We have to all be equal. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. We can't. He can't be able to speak very low like this. And the rest of us are talking. You know, (laughs) it was just, you know. And and I wish they had. The only thing I regret, and I think probably Maritz, our wonderful director, probably just do is I wish we'd gotten them like right off the bat. I wish we'd all had them because then we wouldn't have been pushing because we were pushing so much. It was hard to lose that muscle memory. But it was fine. It ended up being fine. It was a great show. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was fine. (laughs) It was fun. It was fun. I really loved doing it. And I particularly, <clears throat> you know, loved being with Kevin, but also with Christine Nielsen. Yes. Who was an actress that I had gone to Yale with, who incredibly in the small world department. So Christine Estabrook played all the adult women on Broadway in Spring Awakening. I took over from her from 10 weeks. And, and Christine Nielsen took over from Ridiculous. Me, and we all went to the Yale School of Drama. Right. So that's the missing link. What do you know? <laughs> Good. So I have one more line of inquiry to pursue with you. And it's, again, staying with the um, theme of the sort of craft of the actor. When you're doing so much of the television work that you do now, whether it's Scandal or Veep or anything else, I mean, I, I would include Grey's Anatomy as well. Mm-hmm. It, do you find that the process is different in terms of, again, building a character, preparing a part? Is it much more spontaneous and free? Well, you know, because I played them already. Yeah. So um, all those characters, um, I, Veep is the one I've done the least. Yeah. But, you know, I went back on Veep last year and I just did miniature little dab of paint. I called it my dab of paint scenes. Yeah, right. And, you know, it really was funny because I had been with him in the pilot and the like, second, oh, second yeah, sure. episode. That's right. And it was like no time had passed. <laughs> I was like, oh, hi, guys. <laughs> so um, with Grey's Anatomy and uh, Scandal, those parts are so vivid roles mm-hmm. that I've worked on for so, I mean I started Grey's Anatomy 14 years ago oh, that's ridiculous so uh, and Sally Langston and Scandal was six years ago mm-hmm. so I've been playing them for a long time so the minute and you know Sally's a southerner and she's a bible thumping mm-hmm. you know uh, may you know total homophobic mm-hmm. <laughs> terrible woman and um, 
you know, and Ellis Gray is this brilliant genius doctor mm-hmm. who's, you know, had Alzheimer's. Now that my character is no longer alive, mm-hmm. uh, I play different. I play, there's a lot of flashbacky and kind of right. dream sequences. Right. And as I told you, I may be playing her later this week. <laughs> but um, the truth of it is that then is sort of based in a kind of fantasy yeah. um Realm, so yeah. that I'm not really playing her as we met her in the uh-huh. first three years before I died, uh-huh. before I I died of a heart attack or whatever. However, I died, and then you know with Sally, um, you know, so I go back into those, and it's just like putting on right a, a comfortable suit. If you go into a new TV show and you're given a, a role, you know, that you've never encountered before, does it take the same amount of preparation as a stage role? No, no. No, generally, um, I, you know, I, you know, the, the, and of course, the way you film, oftentimes you're backwards and forwards. So uh, you true. might start with the last scene. I always wonder it's how you terrible. go. That's, that's the worst. Yeah. That's actually bad. Yeah. So, but what I try to do, certainly for film, I mean, most of my film roles, to be truthful, have been very, um, you know, two, four or five scenes tops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I feel. That what I do with those, with those, with all of those, I really do work on it as a whole, mm-hmm. so that then I can just jump in wherever we right. are in the storyline. Right. But invariably, there's always that awful moment where you're doing the very first scene and you've already done the last scene, and you think, "Oh, damn oh it. no, I wish I had right. dot dot dot." But yeah. that's natural. Yeah. If you have a great director, um, and I say I, I would say six times out of ten, I've had yeah. a great director. Um, you know, they will help you with that. With TV, it's different because it's it's one of the beautiful things about television. Is of course, you're playing the same character. Yeah, sure. And all these little one-hour chunks. Right. Um, so, but of course, you know, when you're doing a television show, you may work for one day every yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Um, where if you're doing a play, you're doing it every day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just did a film with Kate Blanchett, which was so wonderful, called Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And I had three scenes with her. And we shot them all in. They were meant to all be done in one day. And I said, I t- please, God, could you just make them in two days? Because yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Especially because, you know, whenever you work with a very fabled actor, uh-huh. you kept, you spend the first hour just getting over just that. Just staring at Going, them. it's Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I play her boss. How strange. Right. You know, how did this happen? So, you know, you just need to get over it already. <laughs> um, but... It's interesting. I mean, I think I approach different things in different ways. And that's something that I often say to the the students is, you know, it's I used to when I was young say, oh, well, that's, you know, I work this way or mm-hmm. I work that way. It's like, you know what? No, you work on everything kind of differently. Mm-hmm. You have to. It's a different set of circumstances mm-hmm. and, and different am- amounts of preparation time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you literally have overnight. Yeah, sure. You know, as an actor, you have to be ready to jump in. Yeah. So when I have actors who say to me, you know, I have trouble learning lines, I'm uh, like, get over it, because you know what? You may have to learn within hours. Yeah, and there are certain shows uh, in recent years where you they refuse to give you the script for legal reasons until oh. the day of, and then they insist that you shred it or eat it or oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> feed it to a wolf oh, yeah. by the, the end scandal, of the day, by 5 p.m. In the second or third season when we were really, like, through the roof, Shonda, our wonderful creator said don't leave your script in your car right people there was one other show where people were breaking into people's cars that's stupid i mean you think really don't we have better things to do but anyway yeah so i was like you know oh my god i take it with me to the grocery store and the shopping bag i'm like where's that script (laughs) it's sitting with my groceries (laughs) amazing so silly 
Well, Kate, we could go on for hours, <laughs> but our listeners can't. So um, thank you for this. And also thank you, thank you for being here. Obviously, it's I'm a, it's so a happy treasure for our school. So we, I, feel tre- I feel it's a treasure for me to be here. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So uh, tune in next time, guys, where we will be plumbing the depths with another of our faculty members and continuing our season of podcasts at SDA. Bye-bye. Podcast at SDA is a production of the USC School of Dramatic Arts. Your host is the Dean of the School of Dramatic Arts, David Bridell. Podcast at SDA is recorded, edited, and mixed by the students and faculty of the BFA Sound Design Program. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Podcast at SDA.